Welcome to the Nicholas Natale Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life and take your business to the next level. This week on the podcast, we are continuing our Money 101 series. In this series, we've covered behaviors of the wealthy, budgeting, debt, traditional versus Roth IRAs, investing, and now it's time to chat about credit. If you're not connected with me on Instagram at Nicholas Natale, please do so. I post valuable content on there daily. Big news, if you haven't heard the bee buzzing, the word be buzzing on the street. We are doing a giveaway for podcast listeners only. As you know, I've created an online course called Get Out of Debt Like a Maniac, and it's nice with it. What this course does is it explains exactly how to get out of debt, manage your money, and build a life toward financial freedom. It breaks down seemingly complex topics like credit and compound growth and makes them super easy to understand. It has over 50 video lessons covering debt, budgeting, cutting expenses, credit, etc and is constantly being updated based on the most frequently asked questions by members. Plus, you'll have access to me. I do a live weekly group training with members of the course to help ensure your financial success. To win a free seat in this course, leave a five-star review, screenshot it, post it to your Instagram story, and tag me at Nicholas Natale, and you will be entered to win. I'll be choosing three winners by November 5th. Be sure to enter to win. If free isn't your thing, you can snag your good lamp seat by heading to courses.nicholasnatale.com and use Using the promo code the NN Show 30 for 30% off your order. That's courses.nicholasitali.com promo code the NN Show 30 for 30% off. Riddle of the week: Why do dogs float in water? Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out. This episode is professionally mixed and mastered by a gentleman who needs no introduction. Grant. Grant Singer the audio engineer mastermind. If you'd like Grant to audio engineer your podcast, film, or music, click the link to singerville.com in the show notes or reach out to him on Instagram at Grant E. Singer. That was the intro. Now here is the episode. All right, let's dive on into credit. There's a lot of controversy surrounding credit. Is there not? We got Papa Dave saying, if you use a credit card, you're just plain stupid. Are you dumb? Are you a dumb person using a credit card? If so, you are stupid. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but there's a whole lot of he said, she said when it comes to credit. So I want to take some time to uncover the most important facets of credit, need to know type things. To start off, I need to say this. I believe that tracking your net worth is far more important than tracking your credit score could ever be. Your net worth is the literal status of your entire financial well-being. If finances were a sport, your net worth would be the score. You can have an 800 credit score and a negative net worth. What good would that do for you? You could have a zero credit score and be worth a million dollars. One of these sounds better than the other. Cash in hand will always trump a credit score. Let me answer the question, what is a net worth then? Why should I be tracking? What is this thing I'd be tracking? Your net worth is essentially your assets minus your debt or liabilities, as people call them. When we Google celebrities to see how much they are worth, net worth is just all of their assets minus their debt or liabilities. A big misconception about net worth that people often have is that they think someone's net worth is the total amount of money or cash on hand they have. They believe that Shia LaBeouf really has $34 million sitting in his bank account right now, and that's just not how it works, okay? It's not. We'd include in his assets the worth of Shia's house, Shia's investments, Shia's bank accounts, Shia's paid off vehicles, any of his businesses, his art, his jewelry. Those are all assets. 
Shia being the gamer he is, he's probably got a $20,000 PC rig. That would make it into the asset category as well. His liabilities are his student loans, his credit cards he hasn't paid off, his personal loans, his car loans, and the remaining amount on his mortgage. Many people will only include the negative side of their mortgage when they're calculating their net worth. You know, that makes sense. But what I like to do is I like to include both the negative amount on the loan and what the perceived value of the home currently is. That feels like a more accurate representation of net worth. So if you owe $100,000 on your mortgage, but your home is worth $150,000, I think that's an important thing to recognize. Okay, let's get into credit. A credit score tells lenders about your credit worthiness, how likely you are to pay back a loan based on your credit history. It is calculated using the information in your credit reports. FICO scores are the standard for credit scores used by 90% of lenders. Credit scores influence the credit that's available to you and also influences the terms like interest rate, length, amount, etc. that lenders may offer you. When you apply for credit, whether for a credit card, an auto loan, or mortgage, lenders want to know what risk they'd be taking by loaning you money. They're trying to see if you're sketchy or not. If you're a sketchy person, they want to know if they're going to get their money back or if you're going to take it and dip. A credit score is basically a number that summarizes credit risk based on a snapshot of your credit report at a particular point in time. The question becomes, what are they actually checking then, right? Your credit score, what's it made of? Well, it's made of five different components. 35% of your credit score is based on your payment history. 30% is based on your credit utilization. 15% credit age. 10% types of credit. Another 10% requests for new credit. And I'm going to cipher through each of those to tell you exactly what they are. So 35% of your credit score is built up from your payment history. You know me, I don't like to hit this just the surface. Let's go deep into payment history and what it means. Your payment history and this information is straight out of FICO's mouth. The horse that is FICO, its mouth. This is what's included in payment history. Payment history shows how you've paid your accounts over the length of your credit. The reason it makes up the majority of your credit score is because it is a track record of your payment trends and helps determine the likelihood that you'll pay all your debts that you agreed to. A lender checks your past record of paying back your loans because they want their money. They want you to slowly, slowly and seductively pay off your debt each month so they can soak up all that compounding interest and snag every last dollar from you. But they want to know they're going to get their money. A late payment can follow you for up to seven years. And a few late payments are not an automatic score killer. So overall, good credit history can outweigh one or two instances of late credit card payments. However, having no late payments in your credit report doesn't mean you'll get a perfect score either. You know, it's a rough game. This credit score is built up a lot of different stuff. Your payment history is just a slice of the credit score pie. And there are different types of accounts that are considered when they look at your credit payment history. They're talking credit cards. You know, they want to see what's up with your Visa, your MasterCard, your American Express, Amex for short, your Discover card, all that stuff. Retail accounts, you know, credit from stores where you shop, like department store credit cards, installment loans, loans where you make regular payments like car loans, finance company accounts, that's like banks, stuff like that. Any company that can offer you a loan and mortgage loans. 
essentially anything you have to make recurring payments on to pay it off is what they're looking at and how timely your payments were on different types of accounts like credit cards, installment loans and mortgage loans. And that's the lowdown on what goes into the types of accounts they're looking at when they're talking about payment history. Now, there are seven components that make up your payment history, and we can call that the seven deadly sins of payment history. What's in the box? Payment history is in the box. So the seven components that are making up your payment history is the payment information on, you know, credit cards, the types of accounts we just covered, how overdue delinquent payments are today or may have become in the past, the amount of money you still owe on delinquent accounts or even collection items, the number of past due items on our credit report, adverse public records such as bankruptcy, I'll talk about that in un momento, the amount of time that's passed since delinquencies, you know, adverse public records or collection items were introduced, you know, when you got those, and then the number of accounts that are being paid as agreed. So whether you have, talking about the, the adverse public records now, whether you have bankruptcies, accounts and collections or lawsuits listed on your credit report, these are types of events that are considered quite serious, although older items and items with smaller amounts count less than recent items or those with larger amounts. So negative adverse public records would include bankruptcies, and these will stay on your credit report for seven to 10 years, depending on the type, lawsuits, wage attachments, and a wage attachment is when your employer holds back some of your wages and gives them directly to the creditor. That's that's something, ain't it? And here's some tips to enhance your payment history. Pay your bills on time. Hate to say it, but that's 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 as simple and straightforward as it can get. Get current and then stay current on your missed payments. And then contact your creditors and try to negotiate with them on the amount and the interest rates. Hey, it's me, Nick. Please don't charge me so much. That should be your negotiation script. Late payments usually go on your credit reports and they affect your score only if you are at at least 30 days past due. You know, you can pay your lender or card issuer a late fee before then, but it legally uh, cannot be reported to the credit bureaus before then. So once you go past that 30 day mark, the late payment will show up in your payment history. And the longer you go without paying, the worse it is for your score. Conversely, if you pay all your bills on time, you will have a good payment history and your score will benefit. Yay. Before we move on from payment history and tackle the other four components of the credit score and what makes it up, I want to state my opinion about the credit system and credit overall. And I rarely get controversial on this podcast, but I got to say it. I hate credit scores and I hate the credit system. That doesn't mean I don't play the game, though. Before I touch on playing the game, let me let me keep banging on this drum. I think credit scores are meaningless when it comes to building wealth, or at least in comparison to building wealth. I got a friend. He's got more than one million of dollars in his bank. He's got multiples of those, and his credit score is only 720. He's got millions of dollars in the bank, and his credit score still isn't considered perfect. That's why I don't think caring about a credit score is all that worth it. I'd rather you be debt-free with tons of cash in the bank and your investments flourishing than to be someone with a good credit score, right? It's like, hey, my credit score is 800. Very cool, but this guy over here has no credit score in a couple milli. That sounds way better. My final quick note before moving on is never borrow money to try and raise your credit score. Please just don't do it. And the main reason I play the game with credit cards is because 9 out of 10 millionaires own real estate. 
and getting optimal loan terms for real estate investing is important. Okay, credit utilization. This is the second piece to the credit score puzzle. Credit utilization is uh, also called credit utilization ratio. I guess that's its full name, you could say. First, middle, and last name, credit utilization radio, and this radio ratio, and it makes up 30% of your credit score. So the credit utilization ratio is the amount of revolving credit you're currently using divided by the total amount of revolving credit you have available. Basically, it's how much you currently owe or spent divided by your credit limit. For example, let's get some real numbers in here. If you have a total of $100,000 in credit available to you across two credit cards and you have a balance of $50,000 on one, your credit utilization rate is 50%. You're using half of the total credit you have available to you. You can calculate an overall credit utilization ratio as well as a ratio for each of your credit accounts. This is also called your per card ratio. For example, if you had two credit cards with a total credit limit of 100 grand, of which you're using $50,000, your credit utilization ratio is 50%. If each card has a credit limit of 50,000 and you owe 30,000 on one and 20,000 on the other, your per card utilization rates would be 60% and 40%. Does that make sense? Because you're using 30K out of 50K for one and 20K out of 50K for the other. Credit utilization rates equal your total debt or balance or amount you spent divided by your total available credit. A low credit utilization rate shows you're using less of your available credit. Credit scoring models generally interpret this as an indication that you're doing a good job managing your credit by not overspending. And by keeping your spending in check, that can help you reach higher credit scores. You know what you can do with those higher credit scores? You can get more loans at better rates. Very cool. How cool is that? Very cool. What is a good utilization rate? These are arbitrary rules that the credit card companies have come up with for what a good utilization rate is, is that it is commonly recommended to keep your total credit utilization rate below 30%. For example, if your total credit limit is $100,000, your total revolving balance shouldn't exceed $30,000. They believe that a low credit utilization ratio is considered an indicator that you're doing a good job of managing your credit because you're so far from overspending. A higher utilization ratio, however, could be a big red flag to potential lenders that you're having trouble managing your finances. So essentially, they offer you to spend up to a crazy amount of money, but then if you do it, you're penalized. But hey, that's the way the game works. I don't make the rules. I just say them into a microphone. Let's talk about should you open credit cards to improve your credit utilization rate? If you are in credit card debt, I wouldn't. You can request a credit limit increase for a given any given credit card, and that may help you with your credit utilization rate. But overall, I would say pay off your monthly balance each month, keep open credit accounts that have zero balances even if you don't intend to use them, and get your credit card balance down to zero, and you can never use it again if you didn't want to. So let me sprinkle in some more of my thoughts before we tackle the remaining three components that make up credit score. A credit score is just a game banks set up to maximize their own profits. Don't fall for the trap of paying them even more money so you can earn the right to borrow more money and pay them more money. Instead, if you're in debt, stay dedicated to getting out of debt as fast as you can so you can start building wealth. Okay, that was a quick little detour. There are three more components left to cover to get the full understanding of how your credit score is determined. And the final three are credit age, types of credit, request for new credit. 
So coming in at a whopping 15% is credit age. A longer credit history will always have a positive effect on your credit score. And credit age is determined by how long your credit accounts have been open, including the age of your oldest account, the age of your newest account, and an average age of all your accounts. How long specific credit accounts have been open, and how long it has been since the account has been used. The credit scoring algorithms calculate the average of how long all your accounts have been open. That average age of accounts is your credit age. If you have five credit cards, you'd want to add up all the years you've had your cards, then divide it by five to get your credit age. Boom. I would just like to reiterate once more. Your credit score helps lenders determine the risk of lending you money. And borrowing money is undesirable if it's not for starting a business, real estate investing, or investing in yourself, such as higher education. Anywho, next is your credit mix or types of credit. And credit mix is essentially your ability to manage different types of credit. So two types of credit they like to see a blend of. One is revolving accounts. And these are accounts that provide you with credit that allows more flexibility regarding the amount paid monthly. Talking credit cards, retail store cards, or HELOCs, home equity line of credit. Then there are installment accounts, and these usually require a fixed payment each month until the balance is paid down in full. A few examples of these are a mortgage, auto loan, student loan. And as you can see, these are all accounts, all accounts that typically put us in debt. So I could care less about the diversification of debt because I don't want any of it. However, that's a piece of your credit score pie. And the final piece of the credit score pie is request for new credit. Here's a fun part of the credit score game. You need new credit, but you can't get new credit too fast or you'll be penalized. Lenders will think you're in a financial distress trying to open up all these accounts and worse yet, if you do get a bunch of new accounts, it'll bring down your credit age. And new credit is the final 10% of your credit score. So negative effects of new credit. To get a new line of credit, lenders have to inquire into your credit report, and depending on a few factors, this can lower your credit score by a few points. Secondly, it's going to botch your credit age. If you get a new card, it's going to change some things. Thirdly, if you get the new card, you'll have a lower limit, and if you use that card, you'll be getting closer to your credit limit, making your credit utilization ratio too high for that, for that card, which could lower your score. Positive effects is new credit could add another line of credit into your credit mix, but you need new lines of credit to eventually get that score back up and work your way to that, that glorious 800, baby. Side note, checking your credit report won't affect your credit score as long as you order your credit report directly from the credit reporting agency or through an organization authorized to provide credit reports to consumers, such as MyFICO or Credit Karma. So what is considered a good credit score? You know, below 580 is poor. 580 to 669 is fair. 670 to 739 is good. 740 to 799 is very good. And over 800, 800 plus, that is exceptional. As opinionated as I am about the credit system, you may be surprised by my answer to the question, should you have a credit card? It's a fair question. And for a fair question, I have a fair answer. You don't have to. However, I'm not opposed to it if you do. In fact, in some cases, I would encourage it. Once again, this depends on where you're at in your financial journey. And I'll run through some of these scenarios to get a better idea of what it depends on. But first, we should understand what a credit card is and how they operate. So what is damn things? When you spend with a debit card, the money is coming out of your personal checking account, right? Amen, hallelujah. 
when you spend with a credit card, the money is coming from whomever your credit card is issued from, albeit your bank or a credit union. Then if you don't pay back the balance in full at the end of the month, you'll be charged interest on that money. After all, you did borrow it. And many people view credit cards as being lent free money, which I disagree with. Anything that comes with a condition is not free. For example, you can spend this money as long as you pay it back in full. Otherwise, you're going to be crushed by interest and we'll do our darnest to make sure you have a harder time buying a home down the road. That doesn't sound like free money. It's not free money. It's money you will always have to pay back in full by the end of your billing cycle or you will get punished, slapped on the wrist, corporal punishment, spankings. You should receive a written statement, most cases nowadays, it's an e-statement, for when your credit card billing cycle ends. And if you don't know when your credit card billing cycle ends, you should call your bank or credit card company immediately so you know when to pay and avoid uh, any interest occurring. It's like the worst. Come on now. And this is how I use credit cards because I got them. And boy, I got plenty of them. I got a gang of them. This is how I use credit cards, and it's not a strategy many take. However, I recommend you do the same. Pay off your credit card immediately after you purchase something. As soon as the purchase registers with your bank, this is how I do it. I pay it off immediately. This is the ultimate strategy to ensure you are using your credit card like a debit card. At a minimum, pay it off in advance of the entire balance due date. All right, so here's my big four on credit cards. One of the big four is billing cycle. And the billing cycle is the invoice cycle that keeps track of your spending. This is usually about a 30-day period, and then it starts over again. Basically, after 30 days, your credit card company is going to hit you up and say, yo, this is how much you owe us. And pro tip, here you go. Call your credit card company and ask for your billing statements to start at the beginning of the month. That way it simplifies things. I love keeping things easy. If your billing cycle starts, currently starts on the 15th or some other point in the middle of the month, I would just call them up and say, hey, can you move this to the 1st? So then the only thing you'd have to worry about is the 1st or the 30th. Once again, though, if you're like me and you pay your credit card off right after you bought something, this doesn't make a huge difference. The second thing in the big four is the statement balance. So once you've used your credit card and you've gone through an entire billing cycle, you'll end up, you'll end your cycle with your statement balance. And your statement balance is just how much you owe from the billing cycle. And from there, you'll be given a due date that is generally between 21 to 25 days after the billing cycle has ended. And as long as you pay your statement balance in full by the due date, you won't pay any interest on that credit card. If you don't pay off every single penny on the statement balance, you will start to incur interest, which we want to avoid like the plague. Your choice of plague, whichever one you want to avoid the most, think of that one when you think of interest. I don't have a long list of plagues that I can refer to. However, think of your favorite one. Maybe favorite isn't the best word. So let's say you owe $500 on your statement balance. You just need to pay off that $500 by the due date and you're chilling. You don't have to pay it all off at once. You can make multiple payments as I've suggested, but you must pay it off by the due date. You must, this is a must requirement, big must. Third of the four things, in my big four is a grace period. And a grace period is another important component to understand your credit card may not have a grace period associated with it. This is something to call your credit card company to find out about because it, uh, it's gonna affect the interest you'll pay. So the grace period is between the billing cycles closing date and your credit cards due date. And I'm gonna say that again, but in a different way. The grace period is the time between the date you're billed for what you've spent and the date your payment is actually due. Most often, this is 25 days. However, the minimum amount of time 
a grace period can be legally, if your credit card offers one, is 21 days. And during this time, you will never pay any interest on your statement balance or new purchases that you've made if you pay off your entire balance within the grace period. If you pay off your entire balance within the grace period, you won't incur any interest charges. The game changer is, though, if you carry a balance on your card, you don't have a grace period anymore. You lost it. There's no grace period on new purchases, so interest starts accruing from the very day you purchase something. And I'll talk about that in more detail in, a, in another un momento. Dos mementos. Mentos. E. Coke. Science experiment. Big four. Last four. Last fourth. Fourthly on the last big four is outstanding balance. Now, outstanding balance is the accumulation of everything you owe. It's the amount you have to pay in order to get to zero on your credit card. So if you owe $1,000 on your statement balance, you have 25 days to pay, as we mentioned. Within that 25 days, let's say you spend another 500 bucks. So your outstanding balance would be $1,500. Don't get this twisted with the statement balance. Your statement balance would be still be the $1,000 in this scenario. And the only thing you would have to pay off to avoid interest would be your statement balance. That $500 would be charged toward your next statement balance. And you can pay off your outstanding balance too if you want to. I, I suggest you do the entire $1,500 in this example. However, it's not imperative like the statement balance to not be charged interest. Cool? Outstanding balance, just everything you owe. Now let's talk about credit card interest and how it works. And I'm going to tell you a little story. But before I tell you a story, I'm going to take a little swig. Delicious. Yum. Water. Stay hydrated. I'll take another sip just to show some love to my H2O brothers and sisters. All right, let's chat about credit card interest and how it works. And this story is about my friend Josh. Josh, he owes $500 on his statement balance, and it's due in 25 days. 25 days is a long time to not worry about anything. During this time, he's moving. So he buys a TV for $800. He buys some retro lamp for $100. Then he buys some vintage clothes for another $100. Essentially, his statement balance is $500 and his outstanding balance is now $1,500. Josh is a cheeky guy. He likes, he likes to pull some fast ones. He's funny. He's a real funny guy. And the due date rolls around and he thought it would just be hilarious if he would only pay just $499 on his statement balance instead of the full $500. And you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Now all he has to pay interest on is that $1 he didn't pay off, right? Nope. Because he didn't pay off the entirety of his statement in full, he's lost his grace period, meaning now... He gets to pay interest on the $1,000 worth of purchases he just made. Way to go, Josh. On top of that, unless Josh stops using his credit card, every single purchase he puts on his credit card is going to be charged interest. That's wild, huh? The only way for Josh to reclaim his grace period and to stop paying interest is paying off his entire statement plus the interest he owes. And to get his grace period back, he has to pay off his entire statement balance for two months in a row. Got to get in good standing. That's the standard law of the land for most credit card companies to get your grace period back, but I would check with your credit card company to know their rules for sure. Two months of statement balance in full is the general rule of thumb, though. So if you're carrying a balance on your credit card now, stop making purchases on it immediately because you're paying interest on each of the new purchases every single day. Switch to cash or a debit card so you can avoid paying the interest on every single transaction you make. 
let me reiterate, reiteration, you won't be paying any interest on your credit cards as long as you pay off your statement balance in full by the due date every month. There's more to know about this interest rate fiasco because it also depends on when you make these purchases with your credit card. That matters. Like the day of the month you made the purchase. Credit card interest operates on what's called the average daily balance method. And I'm a visual learner, and this is something that may take some visualizing to understand. So I will make a YouTube video about this. If you want to be sure you see it, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Nicholas And I know I plugged myself there, but this is important. It's an important concept that I want to explain thoroughly, but I may need your eyeballs to do so. So let's take a super quick pit stop to talk about reward points. Use your credit card as if it was a debit card and don't be fooled by rewards into having you spend more than you normally would. According to TD Ameritrade, 59% of individuals with rewards cards carry a balance. That's a grip. That's a lot. Don't be part of that nearly 60% that carries a balance on your reward credit card. Never carry a balance on your credit card. Ever. And why not? Because you're going to get smacked with interest on that balance and then the spin cycle of debt will be upon us. Every transaction you make with a rewards card, the idea of those points, it's hanging out in your subconscious. It's influencing your decision making. Imagine you go to dinner and all you have is $100 cash. I guarantee you that meal will be less than $100. Now imagine you go to dinner at the same place and you're planning to pay with a credit card. You think your bill is going to be exactly the same? It's unlikely. Forbes, many others have done articles on how people will spend as much as double when using a credit card versus cash, and it's clear that the credit card reward points, they play into that. When you drop $200 on the dinner and you think to yourself, nice, you're racking up the points from that one. If your points are worth 2% cash back, that means you got $4 back. If you had only spent $75 on the meal in the first place, you'd be $125 better off. Come on now. Visa is worth $481 billion. MasterCard is worth $347 billion. Amex, American Express, we're cool with them. We're on, we're on the nickname basis. They're worth $136 billion. And they made the point game to make more money. They will win in the end every single time. So don't spend more money for the sake of points. And now that was enough on the reward points. I got a lot to say about that, but I will hold my tongue because I feel like you get where I'm coming from. And now we're going to get into the juice. And what I'm about to say is the most important aspect of credit cards. I'm going to cover my rules to follow to responsibly use a credit card. Hi, friends. This is Nicholas Itali, and each week I cook up a delicious podcast for you that is hot and ready to consume. If you're satisfied with the taste, feel free to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and then send this to two of your friends that you think would enjoy this episode. Head to courses.nicholasitali.com to enroll in the Get Out of Debt Like a Maniac course. It's a course that helps you get out of debt, learn to manage your money, and build a life toward financial freedom. Use the promo code the show 30 for 30% off your order. That's courses.nicholasitali.com, promo code the show 30 for 30% off. Or enter the giveaway by leaving a five-star review, screenshotting it, and posting it to your Instagram story, tagging me at Nicholas Natale. And may we never forget, this episode was professionally mixed and mastered by Grant. Grant Singer. If you'd like Grant to audio engineer your podcast, film, or music, reach out to him on Instagram at Grant E. Singer. His handle will be in the show notes. Or reach out to him through Singerville.com. He's waiting to hear from you. It's fall time now. It's it's getting cold outside. 
He's wearing a scarf, he's got a pumpkin on his head, and he's waiting to hear from you. Call him, message him. All right, back to the episode. Let me say this, if you recently paid off your credit card debt, I wouldn't be super eager to begin using a credit card again. You have to have some serious self-awareness on if you're gonna be able to handle it now, or if you're gonna fall prey to similar behaviors that got you into debt. And after all, credit cards don't get us into debt, we get ourselves into debt. So don't buy anything you cannot pay outright in cash. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, how could you say that? I'm a responsible credit card user. Yeah, you and everyone else, fam, 60% of Americans are holding a balance on their rewards card as we speak. I don't need to hear the lies coming through your teeth. Are you stupid? I'm Dave Ramsey. Sorry, going off on a Dave Ramsey tangent there, but pay your balance in full every month, not your minimums. Full statement balance every month. Don't ever view credit cards as a source of income. Those rewards and incentives are there for a reason. Credit card companies don't do that for you. They do it for them. Okay, laws of credit cards. The first law, I feel like I've said it a million times. Pay your balance in full and on time every single month. No exceptions. You must do this. Secondly, I treat my credit card like a debit card or cash, as should you. If you don't have cash in the bank to pay it off or to pay off a a purchase immediately, you can't afford it. And personally, as I've mentioned, I I buy something with credit card and I pay it off right away. Boom. As soon as it registers, it's gone. I don't want that balance to add up sky high without me knowing. I'm paying it off as soon as it registers with my bank Because there's no benefit to holding a balance on your card. No way. It's actually more beneficial if you paid something and you didn't hold a balance because of the average daily balance method they use for calculating interest. So in certain cases, credit card companies have the authority to hike up your interest rate if you have a leftover balance and they don't like your payment habits. So most of the time, credit card companies cannot raise the interest rate on an existing balance. The new rate only applies to new charges on the card going forward. However, There is an exception to this, and the exception is if you get smacked with a penalty APR. For example, if you're 60 or more days late, your credit card issuer is able to impose a penalty APR, which could be as high as 29.99%. And if you get hit with the penalty APR, your credit card company is permitted to apply the penalty APR to outstanding balances, and then you'll be stuck with that penalty APR as your normal APR until you've made at least six on-time payments. Essentially, if you're late on your payments enough, credit card companies have the ability to slap on even more interest on top of it. Automating your payments is a great asset to ensure you're never going to miss a payment. All this to say, the greatest commandment of credit cards is pay your balance in full and on time every single month. So let's run through a few scenarios to get a better idea of when to have a credit card and what it depends on. What if you have credit card debt? What should you do with your credit card? I say stop using it immediately. Hide it. Bury it. Stow it away and pay it off. And something that I think is funny is the idea behind freezing credit cards. You know when they say freeze your credit card? I say just put your credit card in a Ziploc bag and put it in your freezer until you're out of debt and you pay it off. It's funny and it works. So if you already have credit cards, don't close them. Just stop using them until you're out of debt. What should you use instead of your credit card during this time? You're going to want to use your debit card or pay for things in cash. And debit cards pull money straight out of your account immediately. So when you buy something with a debit card, that money's gone. The luxury you felt of putting things on a credit card and having the crutch of paying them off later, that's gone. can no longer lean on that crutch. So why should we not continue to use our credit card if we're in debt? The reason being is we need to stop the bleeding. 
And secondly, now that we know how credit card interest is calculated, calculated, it's pivotal that we're not contributing to our own downfall. You know, for our every purchase we make is starting to get slapped with interest. We can't be doing ourselves a dirty there. What if I've never had a credit card, but I'm in debt? Should I get one? I, w- I would recommend not getting a credit card until you are debt free to avoid the temptation of overspending with a credit card in addition to being in debt. On the flip side, there's some instances where I would say it's okay to get a credit card while in debt, such as moving your debt onto a 0% APR for the first year credit card if you're confident and you've calculated that you can pay off your debt during that time. Overall, though, I'd recommend not getting a credit card until you are debt-free. And keep in mind, you can always get a credit card down the road when you're debt-free and you know not use it if you're worried about you're going to put a balance on it. That doesn't bother me. Debt bothers me. Credit cards don't bother me. Credit card debt bothers me. And paying interest on credit card balances bother me as well. Only paying minimum payments instead of the entire thing. Or overspending, chasing rewards. Spending on things you normally wouldn't because you got a credit card. Those things bother me. But credit cards, they don't bother me at all. If you've paid off all your debt, then can you use your credit card? Yeah, you understand the game now and how it works. And you're committed to not having a balance on your card or overspending to chase points and rewards. You're going to stick to your budget despite whatever your credit card company is selling you about the if you spend X amount, you know, that's over your budget or purchasing things you normally wouldn't. You have my blessing. You could get a, a thousand credit cards for all I care as long as you remain out of debt, live below your means and use them responsibly. Don't overspend, pay them off, pay that balance and don't chase rewards. You'll be you'll be fine. You use credit cards. They don't use you. Like those credit card companies suffer. They hate financially responsible individuals. Let me talk about the disadvantages you are up against if you <laughs> you do have a credit card and then I'm going to talk about the benefits of having good credit. So I'm going to give you both sides of the coin here. So according to NerdWallet as of 2020, Americans owe 409.91 billion dollars in credit card debt. And according to the American Bankers Association, the majority of Americans with active credit card accounts carry a balance from month to month and only 33% pay off their credit card. This is a record high, by the way. We reached this in 2021. It was previously in the low 20s. Isn't that crazy? You spend 12 to 20% more per purchase with a credit card. And the reason being is that there is less emotional friction when you spend with plastic. Both debit and credit cards, we don't feel as much pain over purchases as we do with cash. With cash... There's a physical transaction. I hand the person cash money, those bills are gone, and they give me back less money or no money in return. Our brain does a much better job registering that physical and painful transaction. Plastic, we don't have that. You know, unless we pay back a a credit card purchase immediately, we won't feel the pain of the bill for basically a month. With credit cards, because we don't pay for something in full the moment we buy it, it's less psychologically painful to spend our future money than our present money. I don't say all this to scare you away from using a credit card once you're out of debt. I'm about to share with you some of the benefits, but I do say it to show how disciplined you'll have to be in order to use them effectively. The odds are stacked against us, and I would do some self-reflection on how you foresee yourself utilizing a credit card. If you're a 3 a.m. Amazon shopper, odds are it's a good idea to hide those credit cards, even after getting out of debt. And once again, credit cards will never make you rich. Getting out of debt, living below our means, Upping our net worth and pounding our investments is what's going to get us rich. And I feel like I've said it, I've done a good job setting the stage for being cautious when using a credit card. So now it's time to talk about the benefits of good credit. And I think there are. If you're able to responsibly use credit cards, it's a good thing. I have four of them. I have four credit cards myself. So as I stated earlier, the greatest benefit of good credit, in my opinion, is when you're ready to invest in real estate, you're going to get a much better rate than those who do not. It's my greatest benefit of good credit. 
It's the one I care about most, but I'm going to tell you some other good benefits. Other benefits of good credit include you can save on different types of insurance based on good credit. This is true for home insurance to car insurance. Good credit allows you to get bigger loans. So if you're scheming on a big business play that you're going to need a lot of startup startup capital for, this is a benefit. Good credit allows you to have lower interest rates on loans as well. That's an advantage. A mortgage or a business loan that's a 2.65 interest rate is a lot better than a 6% interest rate. Good credit makes renting an apartment easier. However, the two times I've applied for apartments, I've only had to show them my net worth and my my bank accounts and all this stuff, and they never cared about my credit score. And that kind of reinforced my perspective that cash will always trump a good credit score. However, if I was a landlord, I would be looking for folks with good credit scores as well. And many of my friends who are also renters have said every single time they apply for an apartment, they get asked about their credit score. That can benefit you for to get a place that you're trying to live at. With good credit, you can potentially qualify for lower credit card interest rates. Most individuals with good credit will never have paid any interest to begin with because they wouldn't have any late payments or ever not pay their balance in full each month. But it's good for peace of mind to know that your interest rates are lower. Good credit also gives you negotiation power. So let's say you go to a lender and you're like, hey, I want this loan, and they hit you with a high interest rate. You can say, have you seen my credit score? Give me a lower rate now. However, if you had a low credit score, you have virtually no leverage in that conversation. Good credit score can help you avoid security deposits on utilities or even with phone companies. Some utility companies will ask for a $100 to $200 security deposit when you're relocating, and that's a big inconvenience. However, if you have a good credit score, Many times you won't have to pay a security deposit. Another benefit, and I've never seen this in my lifetime, however, I'm a young man, so maybe it's more frequent than I know about, is some jobs pull your credit score when doing a background check, and they will probably be more inclined to favor someone with a good credit score. All in all, my biggest pro for having good credit and playing the credit score game is to get better loan rates for real estate investing. So let's recap what we talked about. Pay your balance in full and on time every single month, no exceptions. Treat your credit card like a debit card or cash. If you don't have cash in the bank to pay it off, pay off a purchase immediately, you can't afford it. Personally, as I've mentioned, if I buy something with a credit card, I pay it off immediately. Stop using your credit card if you have credit card debt or are carrying a balance into the next month. Be wary of sign-up bonuses. Don't get sucked in if it's not worth it. If it's too good to be true, it is. Be aware of annual fees. Paying annual fees won't make you rich. Don't spend more on the account and reward points, and you will never get rich and build wealth from credit card points. You will definitely get wealthy by getting out of debt, living below your means and investing. All in all, please don't ever brag to me about your credit score. If you want to if you want me to hype you up, tell me your net worth, baby. If you are in debt, stay focused on getting out of debt. That's the most important thing you can do for your finances. Credit scores are wrapped around the idea that you are in debt and if you can pay your debt, then you can get in more debt. You want to know how to build wealth, get out of debt so you can use that money you're putting toward your debt to invest. I feel like I said debt way too many times in that sentence, but that's what came out of my mouth. Credit scores are kind of like social media. Everyone is chasing the approval of the wrong people. The likes don't actually make you any money. They just make you temporarily feel good. On the contrary, if you can use a credit card responsibly, I do believe getting a better loan, better loan terms for real estate makes it worth it. It's not difficult to utilize a credit card responsibly, so if you can do it, you have my blessing, and I would encourage you to. That was the episode. You just listened to it uploads every Friday at 6 a.m. The real reason you're still here. You want to know the answer to the riddle of the week. Why do dogs float in water? 
because they're good boys. <laughs> good boys. Good boys. Boys. You know, like the things out there floating in water? Good boys. I don't know, I thought that was funny. Don't forget to leave a five-star review, screenshot it, and share it to your Instagram story, tagging me for a chance to win a seat in the Get Out of Debt Like a Maniac course. I love you. Say something nice to your family and friends. After all, relationships are pivotal to a fulfilling life. Love you guys. See you in the next one. Bye!